0: The following message is by Dr. J.R. Cuevas, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino,
1: California.
0: You can now open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, this is Galatians chapter 6. Oops. And uh, as you may know, as you may remember from last week, <clears throat> the pastoral staff had agreed that we were going to go through or take the church through um, a three or four part sermon series on the topic of giving in the church, which is essential. It's part of the membership covenant. So for anybody who's a member of the church, you have to have a proper practical principle theology on what the Bible says about giving. And uh, Pastor Derek did a great job last week giving us a helicopter view on the basic principles, the, the fundamental principles on giving. And it's my job today, and uh, uh, it wasn't a topic that I particularly selected. It was, it was one that I was assigned to do. Um, and uh, it's on do not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, or don't muzzle the ox. I would love to preach on, if you know me, if you know anything about me, I would love to preach on oxen. Um, but. <laughs> And I will, uh, just not the kind of ox that I think you were thinking about. Uh, the ox that I'm going to preach on is, is this ox. <laughs> um, and so that's a quote, that's a, that's a verse from Deuteronomy 25. The sermon is not from Deuteronomy 25, it's from Galatians chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to be specifically focusing on verse 6, which is the text, the overarching text on what the Bible says about financially compensating your pastor. Uh, This is not my favorite Sunday to preach on, by the way. Uh, It's not a topic that pastors look forward to preaching on in the last 10 years or 15 years. Actually, for as long as I've been alive, I have never heard a sermon on this topic, a full-length sermon. It's been addressed uh, in the context of other things. I've never listened to a full-length sermon on what the Bible says about pastoral compensation. And and I'm not going to listen to my sermon after I preach this either. So this is my one shot. And uh, for context, I'm going to read starting from chapter 5, verse 13, because you need to see the whole context. And this is Paul's instruction to the Galatian church in light of the application of justification by faith. If you want to know the context of this book right off the bat, first two chapters. The defense of justification by faith alone, apart from works. Chapters 3 and 4 is the explanation of it. And chapters 5 and 6 is the application of it. And so here we go. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one, one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please." But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of this flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, Now he transitions from your personal responsibility as a Christian now to your corporate responsibility to the church. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, When he has nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. And here's our verse for today. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Uh, Bow your heads, not to me, but with me one more time. I tell all my students, bow your heads with me not to me. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, to gather together in the freedom, the tranquility that we have. Um, And we do pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to receive the word which is able to save our souls, which has saved the souls and sanctified the souls of so many uh, from one generation to another since the birth of the church. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. I want to give you an insight as to what I have to think through what We have to think through as ministers, as teachers of the word. As a minister of the word, we think about the example, the words of Paul uh, to the Ephesian elders before he left for Jerusalem, when Paul was defending the integrity of his ministry. And as a minister of the word, as Paul said, the integrity of my teaching ministry as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, is hinged on whether or not I have the ambition to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, as Acts 20, verse 27 says, publicly and house to house, personally in public and with sincerity. You admonish each one with tears because we cannot shrink from declaring to you anything that's in God's word or anything that's profitable and how much of the Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It's everything. In other words, if the Bible talks about something, you need to hear it, and we need to teach it. We don't have a choice. Now, we can't always get through the whole Bible. If we did, um, <laughs> I don't know how long we'd be here, but it is our responsibility to give you everything that the Bible says about everything that it talks about. That said, there when I jumped into pastoral ministry, there were Three sermon topics, three sermons that I would refer to as initiation sermons because they're the topics that are not difficult to interpret necessarily. They're just Bible topics, biblical topics, theological topics that are a little bit uncomfortable or very uncomfortable to to preach on because they're either awkward or because you know that people get quick to anger when they hear it. And uh, one of them is what the Bible says about, Biblical masculinity and femininity and how that relates to the roles of men and women in the church. And uh, I did pass that test. uh, Did it back in 2012 at a college retreat. And some of the the folks who were there are actually still here at the church. And that was hard because you can imagine what it's like for me to have spent that much time trying to figure out what it means to be a woman and preach it. That was hard. The second one was... I'm going to use some uh, figurative language here because we have kids in the room. Um, We should have done children's church today. What the Bible says about the birds and the bees to middle school boys. Uh, Imagine taking that topic and teaching it to bags of testosterone. Um, I passed that test as well last December by request of the eighth grade boys in our school. And they said they wanted two days on it. I thought I was going to die. (laughs) I did that, and I passed the test. And the third one, which, as I've said, I've never heard a message on, a full Bible exposition on, is what the Bible says about financially compensating your pastors. It's an awkward topic, not because God's Word is silent on it. God's Word has plenty to say about it. And if I actually get through all these notes, we might be here till 12 o'clock, so I won't do that. It's because it's awkward. It's a, it's, And I'm not afraid to say it, because every pastor who's honest, right, who's a man of integrity, who's free from the love of money, who's not fond of sort of gain, would find it awkward to preach on that topic. And that's why they usually invite the guest pastors to do it, which I did, by the way, at another church back in October. There was a Sunday where I wasn't here. It's because I went to that church to preach on. And I said, so what would you want me to preach on that you don't want to preach on? And he said, money. And so I did. And uh, I got assigned this topic today. And by the way, as for my own credibility, even if I don't have to do this, you have to know that as I prepared this message, I have never, ever asked any church, including the ones that I've served and including this one, I have never asked any church for money. And I've never demanded or even requested for a raise in my salary. You can ask every person who knows my salary and who's been in charge of my salary at every church, and they can attest that that is true. I have never had the responsibility of preaching through this topic. And again, nor have I ever heard this topic preached. Um, I mean, close your eyes and raise your hand. If you have heard a full-length expository sermon on what the Bible says about paying us, Raise your hand. And that's why, as a result, the churches that I've been a part of are largely uneducated on the topic. And when you're not educated in something that's in the counsel of God, the church can tend to have an unhealthy view on that particular topic. And in this case, just some examples of what I've heard in the past. And I was was asked to share some personal examples, just to be transparent about what I've seen. I was once rebuked by an elder, not here, don't worry, not here at a previous church that I was at, because I did not show enough facial excitement when I was offered a salary package for a pastoral position that I later find out was not only less than his pastoral compensation, but was pretty far below the cost of living for the particular area that we were in. I guess I was supposed to be excited when I heard that I was going to be getting that kind of a salary and rebuked for it on the flip side. I've also known of pastors who have flown into LA for the shepherds conference and expected and demanded that their host family provide them a new clean pair of underwear because it's not muzzling the ox. Don't muzzle the ox. I need to put underwear on you to do that, I've heard pastors who believe that being worthy of double honor means that we need to receive double your income, double the average income of the church membership. And there are also churches that I've candidated for that I found out was written in their bylaws that the pastor was not allowed to make more than or be paid more than what I realized was. When you look at the salary amount and you look at the cost of living and the average salary for that area was less than 50% of the salary of that particular area, but it's in their bylaws. So you see the extremes. So some of the questions that people ask about this topic, and I'm not going to go through each of these questions necessarily. My hope is that as as we give you the word of God, it gives you the context it gives you the lens to then answer these questions or at least equips you to think through these questions but here are some of the questions that people ask about pastoral compensation because you cannot talk about the topic of giving in the church and skip this particular topic one is is the church mandated to support its pastors financially should a pastor expect compensation from his church is he wrong in doing so Is a pastor more of a servant or more of a martyr if he chooses not to take a salary? Is that the measure of his love for the church? And should that be the standard by which the church measures a man's servanthood? What should a pastor's financial compensation actually be? What should the church be either willing to or trying to provide for him? Should his salary be comparable above or below the average salary of the church membership. <clears throat> when, if ever, should a pastor waive the right to financial compensation? Is there ever a time where a congregation shouldn't pay their pastor? What does double honor mean? What does it mean when the Bible says, don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing? And how does that apply to ministerial compensation? Is it wrong for a pastor to have luxuries in his life that the wealthier members of the church have? The answer to a lot of these questions is found in one verse and the biblical references underneath it, and that's Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And you have to remember the context of this book. Justification by faith alone needs to be defended, needs to be explained, needs to be applied. This is the one time where Paul looked at a church and outright, in a letter, number one, didn't commend them in the beginning, Ever heard that thing? If you're going to rebuke someone, not like I necessarily like this method, do the sandwich method. Encourage them first, rebuke them next, and then put another layer of encouragement underneath. I finally had one student tell me, if you're going to rebuke us, just rebuke us. Don't smile when you do it. Just do it and get it over with. And with Paul, here's a church that is getting justification by faith wrong, both in its doctrine and in its practice. And he says, you foolish church, you foolish Galatians. How PC can you get with that? You foolish Galatians, you've abandoned the true gospel. And if anyone preaches a different gospel in content and in practice, let him be accursed, even if you think he's an angel. Because, right, the church had fallen into the trap of believing that you're justified by the works of the law, not by faith alone. And in the flip side, because think about this. Whenever a church is, is practicing legalism, when they think that those works are going to save them, they start neglecting the whole other body of works that don't save you but ought to be the application of justification by faith. And so when you walk into a legalistic church, you know two things. Number one, they're doing a whole lot of stuff that you don't need to be doing, and they're not doing a whole lot of stuff that they need to be doing. Justification by faith needs to be defended, it needs to be, it needs to be explained, and it needs to be applied. How is it applied in your personal life? Number one, you are called to freedom right? If you're a lady here, no, you aren't. You do not have to wear skirts to church. You do not have to wear head coverings. If you're a male, you don't have to be circumcised. Thank goodness. Maybe you have. Don't care, right? But in your freedom, you're called to, out of love for one another, serve one another. Why? Because the whole law is summed up in this. You love your neighbor as yourself, Love your neighbor, there is no law against that. And because of that, we walk in the spirit because who empowers us to love our neighbors by ourselves? Who produces the fruit of love which results in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? It's the Holy Spirit, and you have a personal responsibility to love one another and to walk in the Spirit, and that is the proof that the gospel is alive in you. Those who are justified by faith and not by the works of the law will express it through loving one another and walking in the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of their flesh in a habitual, unrepentant
1: manner. But there is a corporate application as well. Brethren, right? If anyone now, now in other words, look outside of your life, look outside
0: of even your own family. Church life worship is not just about your family. If there's anyone in your midst, Galatian church, who number one is a sinner, what do you do? If anyone is caught in any trespass, doesn't mean anyone just stumbled into sin, but someone has been overcome by trespass, is having trouble getting over it, refuses to get over it. You who are spiritual... You who are walking in the Spirit, so if you're not spiritual, if you're sinning the way they're doing, keep your mouth closed. But if you are spiritual, you who are spiritual, restore him. If there is a sinner in the church who was caught in sin and cannot get out of it, it is your responsibility, if you are walking well, to get them out. If there is someone who's suffering in the church, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill. The law of Christ. Your life becomes harder so that their life becomes easier. How do you know you're fulfilling the law of Christ? How do you know you're loving your neighbor as yourself? Your life is getting more difficult because you're bearing the burdens of the other people in the church who are having difficulty to make their life easier. If there's a sinner in the church, restore him. If there's an afflicted person in the church, harder justification by faith alone applied is you bear his burdens. If there is a minister in the church, what do you do? What do you do then? We have sinners here. We know that. We have suffering
1: people here. We know that. Are there people in the church who teach you the word? We as a church, you as a church, I
0: as a minister need to understand what God's word, and God's word, okay, not the culture, not our Personal experiences with the word of God, which is able, right? Which is able and profitable, right? To teach you, to rebuke you, to train you, to correct you in righteousness. The word of God, which is able to give you everything you need for life and godliness. What God's word says about the financial provision of the pastors and the teachers who labor in teaching you the word of God. Think about the context. Paul said, there are false teachers here and you need to stop listening to them and get them out and run away. But when you have teachers who teach you the truth, teachers who teach you the Bible, teachers who feed you the Word of God, you need to know what God's Word says about financially compensating those men. In other words, if you're no longer under the law, you are alive in Christ and you're led by the Spirit. If you're alive in Christ and you're led by the Spirit, you live as Christ does, right? What Paul says, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And you walk in the spirit. And if, you're, if Christ is in you and you walk in the spirit, you will value those who truthfully proclaim Christ and teach his ways to you. And if you value, truly value those who proclaim Christ and teach his ways to you, you will show it in the way you financially compensate. This isn't a light topic. This is a, this is a major topic. It's not a negotiable topic either. And the Bible is not silent about it. And we have to be biblical and not cultural in addressing this topic. And by addressing it, you need to answer two questions, and they're in your outline.
1: Number one, should you provide for your pastors? Number two, how much should you provide for your pastors? Let me address the first one. And again, what I'm gonna do here is take this verse
0: and, and dig a well underneath each word and give you the counsel of God concerning that particular, that particular word.
1: Question number one Should you financially provide for your pastors? Are you responsible as a church to do it? The one who has taught the word is to
0: share. All good things for the one who teaches him. The one who is taught, the word there for teach, right, is the word, is the Greek word where you get the word catechism. Catecheo, right? Catechism, where you formally, systematically, in a detailed, comprehensive way, instruct a particular person in a specific discipline of learning, right? So when a teacher teaches students in the classroom and gets them through a whole curriculum, he or she is literally, right, in a non-religious way, Catechizing those students, right? Going through every major topic, every major theme, making sure they systematically understand everything they need to know about that particular subject or topic. If you're a teacher, you understand that, right? That's why the school year is really stressful, right? Oh, even if we miss days, it's stressful. Why? Because we can't get through the curriculum. We need to get them through everything. And so when it comes to Christians, we need to know the whole counsel of God, but we can't just do it by ourselves. There are people who are gifted to teach God's word, who the Holy Spirit has given the gift of teaching God's word, who were designed to and designated to and commissioned to literally catechize you in the word of God. Everyone in one sense is called to teach and to admonish the word at some level. But at the same time, when it comes to the formal teaching and instruction of God's word with authority, what does James 3 verse 1 say? Let not many of you be teachers because you will incur upon you stricter judgment. The majority, actually, you can put it this way. Everyone here is called to be a servant. Not everybody is called to be a formal teacher of the word. Those who are taught the word in the church are the majority, which is why right now there are, I think, about 200 of you there, and how many are up here? That's that's how instruction works. That's how formal instruction works. The majority of God's people are those who were taught the word. So who's this referring to? The one who was taught the word is every single one of you. The one who is taught the word, again, that's the majority, right? Which is why, you know, when people—well, everybody's a theologian. Everybody can be a teacher. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I can say everybody can be a health professional. I don't think so. I mean, I tried to be a doctor. That was too hard, right? I'm not going to try again. Um, But when it comes to the Word of God, those who were taught the Word of God, that's referring to the layman of the church in the Old Testament, anyone who wasn't a Levite. Levites were instructed to teach God's Word in the New Testament, anyone who's not an apostle or a pastor or elder. The Word, obviously, refers to the Word of God, the Scriptures, 2 Timothy 3, Again. All scripture, you have known, Timothy, from childhood, the sacred writings that are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Why? All scripture, the whole thing, all 66 books, every single word in every single verse in every single book is profitable to teach you, to show you what you're doing wrong, to show you what you need to do right, and to train you how to do it. Therefore, Timothy, before the presence of God, you preach the whole thing, even if people don't want to hear it. And there are people who you need to train to do the same thing. The things that I've taught you, everything in the scriptures, you endow these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you who are taught the word, the one who is taught the word is to share. Is to share. The word there, circle that word there, mentally, if you don't want to mark your Bible up and want to keep it clean, is the word, you'll recognize this word, Koinonia, koinonia, fellowship. And back then, okay, and even today, fellowship was more than just, hey, I'm going to hang out with another Christian and get coffee. Someone once said, why is it that when you hang out with a non-Christian, it's called a meeting. When you get coffee with a Christian, it's called fellowship. Now, fellowship is partnering in a common cause. And you can partner in that in a spiritual way or in a financial way. And so in Acts chapter 2, 44-45, and this is the overtone here, right? When Paul is saying, you are to fellowship, You are to share, and it says, all who had believed in the early church, 44 through 45, were together, had all things in common, all things in fellowship. They began, think of the rich young ruler's conversation with Jesus, selling their property and possessions. Not taking a vow to poverty, selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That's what Jesus was telling the rich young ruler, right? I've done everything since I was a kid. One thing you lack, right? Show that you love God with all your heart by giving all that you have to the purpose of God. Selling your possessions. When Jesus told the disciples, sell your possessions, give to charity, give to those who are in need. In Luke chapter 12, was he talking about taking a out of poverty? No, he wasn't. Because what do you see then in the book that comes after the Gospels? Acts. Believers who are also wealthy, selling their property, selling their possessions to give to the church and laying those proceeds at the apostles' feet. In other words, Christ was saying, steward your material resources in a way that meets the needs
1: of fellow Christians and the needs of the church. Fellowship, then, is both a spiritual endeavor and a financial endeavor. And who, if you're
0: taught the word, who are you supposed to share it and
1: fellowship it with? With the one who teaches him. Speaking of those who have been designated
0: by God to formally, regularly, frequently, systematically, and with accountability and stricter judgment teach you the word of God. The birth. And the growth and the maturity and the viability and the sustenance of God's people has always depended on the proper and sound preaching and teaching of God's word to God's people. You see that throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, why do you think the Levites didn't get their own territory but were called to spread in 48 cities across the entire land of Israel because it was the Levites' job, according to Deuteronomy 33, verse 10, to teach the law of the Lord and lead the people— to God, to the worship of God, and they wanted to make sure it happened in every tribe so that all 12 tribes of Israel would understand God's law, live according to God's word, and worship God. You Levites need to be everywhere. You have your own possessions. You have your own pasture lines, your own inheritance, but you need to be everywhere because every tribe needs to know the word of God. Otherwise, what happened when the Levites were neglected? Didn't Paul say, or didn't Moses say, Do not neglect the Levites. Remember, your first fruits go to the Levites. Tithe to the Levites. Why? Because when you neglect the Levite, which is what they did in the Old Testament, what happened? When the law of the Lord, when the word of God is not there, the people fall away from the worship of God and they spiral into idolatry, into immorality, into unrighteousness. And there's the judgment of Assyria and Babylon because people abandoned the covenant of God that was supposed to be taught to them systematically by the Levites, and whether it was because the Levites neglected their job, or they couldn't do their job because they weren't compensated, we don't fully know which one was more prevalent than the other, but what we do know is that when you see people like Hezekiah, people like Josiah, trying to reform Judah, Israel, you're gone, Assyria's taken over you, here's Judah, right? You have two good kings, what's always part of, their, what's always part of the reformation? restoring. Not only cleansing the temple, but restoring the tithing to the Levites. Get the word of God back out to the people and support the men who were doing it. Judah eventually fell to Babylon, which uh, we all know of. And then after 70 years, they returned providentially through King the king of Persia to Jerusalem through Zerubbabel first and then through Ezra. And then when Nehemiah came, what did he do to reform the people of God, to restore them to being a worshiper, a worshiping people again? Part of his reform was ensuring the monetary and the physical compensation of the Levites again, restoring the tithes because he realized that the people hadn't done that. God's people have always had a history of neglecting to compensate the ministers of the word. And whenever there's a reform necessary in the church, right? I grew up in the Catholic church. What do you think was a principle, was a policy, a protocol there for their minister that they need to take, not just a vow to celibacy,
1: but a vow to poverty? That is corruption. Both of those. And then in, the new, and then in Malachi,
0: after the people were restored, God said, right, you are robbing me. Why? Because you are neglecting to give the tithes. And who are the tithes supposed to support? The Levites. You're robbing the church. You're robbing—well, not the church, because Israel wasn't the church. You're robbing God's people. You're robbing the temple. And then when the New Testament, when Jesus came, when Jesus came as a preacher and as a teacher with his apostles, so said soon afterward in Luke chapter 8, he began going around from one city and one village to another— proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came not as an NFL star, right? Not as a soldier, not as a farmer. Jesus came as a teacher. That's why they called him rabbi. And he said, right, I'm not going to stay here and heal. I'm going to go out there and preach because he came to preach and teach the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I must go everywhere to do it. And did Jesus take money for it? It said, when he was preaching, the 12 were with him, Luke chapter 8, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was also called Magdalene from the seven demons, from whom the seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod, Stuart, and Susanna, and many others, who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Jesus and his apostles took financial compensation from the people to whom they ministered. And some of these women followed him around and made sure that they were compensated. And then when he sent out, as the verse that Tim read, Tim Wong read this morning for the scripture reading, when he sent the 72 out, he says, don't acquire gold or silver or copper or money or belts or back for your journey. In other words, don't worry about providing for yourself. Why? For the worker is worthy of his support. When you go to the town, use what they give you because you're worthy of that support. It's a command. And then Jesus said in Luke 10, Parallel verse, when you go to those places, you stay in that house and eat and drink what they give you. You don't have to be shy about it. If they're eating steak, eat steak. If they're drinking milk, doesn't matter if you're lactose intolerant, drink it. If there's honey, eat it. Just not too much, lest you puke, right? Or the laborer is worthy of his wages. In other words, you need to communicate to the people that ministering the gospel right, is a worthy cause, and therefore you take their compensation. And don't keep moving from house to house. But if they don't receive you, either they don't take your word or they refuse to compensate you or support you, go out of the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we will wipe off and protest against you. And then after Jesus ascended and the apostles were commissioned by the power of the Holy Spirit, to witness of Christ to the ends of the earth, Paul says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. What in the world does that mean? Back then, to thresh the wheat, they would have oxen step on the wheat to separate the edible from the inedible parts. And as the oxen were doing it, what do oxen like to do as they're threshing wheat? Well, the wheat looks good, so therefore the oxen eat it. And there were some people back in the Old Testament Israelite days who, in order to get or maximize the amount of grain they could get for themselves, would put a muzzle on the ox so it wouldn't eat the grain to get everything that they could get from it. And what Moses said, what God said through Moses is, you need to care for the beast who is helping you get this grain by letting him eat from the grain. And then Paul says again in that same chapter, those who the Lord directed to proclaim the gospel are to get their living from the gospel. We shouldn't be getting our living from somewhere else. And then Paul says, the elders who work. Who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, and again quoting Deuteronomy, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And so, for ministers, for pastors, here's the mandate we get you need to feed the sheep.
1: For you, it's you need to feed the oxen. I love being an ox. I mean, you know. Does the Bible call me an ox, figuratively? Obviously, my,
0: my big shoulders show it. <laughs> I often say if uh, I'd love, I would, I would have loved to have said that. The reason why I'm not in the NFL is because I just didn't have opportunity. Even if I did, if these breadsticks will break, right, um, before anybody. But I am an ox, not for you to play matador with, right? Because people do that with their pastors. Well, let's keep them
1: poor to keep them begging. Let's wave a red cape to keep them running around and keep them in the ring.
0: Don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. There were only two instances in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Paul withheld purposefully, or he waived the right for financial compensation. One was to the Corinthian church, because the church was so self-absorbed and selfish in the way they practiced Christian liberties that he wanted to show them and demonstrate and model how to discipline yourself and not exercise a Christian liberty if that is for the good of your neighbor. In other words, I'm trying to show you not to just eat everything in front of people who have a weaker conscience, so I'm going to waive my right to, to be financially compensated by you. But by the way, while I'm doing that, I'm robbing other churches of it. He said that to the Corinthian church. I robbed other churches to serve you. And the other was to the Thess- Thessalonian church where Paul said, we didn't want to be a burden to any of you, but we also wanted to be an example because there are some of you who, because you're saying Christ is coming again, you're not working. And so we showed you by modeling, by working night and day. In other words, just to get you to work 20 hours, we're going to work 60. Those are the only two instances to the Corinthian church to the Thessalonian church. One was to teach one church what it meant to love. The other was, it meant, to, was meant to teach one church how to work. So, what you see here is the teaching of God's word
1: is absolutely essential. The church is essential. The ministry of the word is essential. It doesn't matter what our governor or public health official says, what do they know about spiritual growth? We don't, we don't come here to church to socialize, we come to church to hear God's word.
0: And I mean, just imagine if I said, all right, we're here to hear God's word, so I want you to close your eyes and listen for God's voice. Or do you expect me, like one of our children's church kids, who when I went up before the children's church lesson, said, what am I missing? I just had myself and a cup of coffee and a couple of dry erase markers. And I said, what am I missing? And uh, this kid said, you need to get the Bible and open it up and preach to us. Amen. And we need to do it publicly and personally, publicly and house to house
1: to catechize the church and the ways of God. And pastors, just like everybody, need money. We
0: must be free from the love of money, not free from the presence of it. The Bible never says to be void of money. There is nowhere in the New Testament that mandates for a pastor to work for free. And for the church to use that as the measure of his love for the people, a pastor must be, absolutely must be content with all that he has. But never did it say to take a vow for poverty. Now the flip is also true. Okay, the, the flip is also true. There was a a young I don't know how young she was, but there was a girl once in a third world country who, um, where missionaries had come to her country to preach the gospel, and she made a comment or a question and said, "Are, are Christians?" the richest people in the world. And the missionary said, why do you ask that? She said, oh, because whenever we have missionaries come, they're the ones who always stay in the nice hotels and the nice homes, and they get the clean water while the rest of us are living here. That, I believe, is not carrying the spirit of Christ, who, though he was rich for our sake, became poor, and the word became flesh and dwelt, among us, if you're going to minister in a third world country where everybody is drinking dirty water and everybody's living in poop huts and you want to stay in the Hyatt, right? Good luck communicating the gospel that way. But at the same time, at the same time, a pastor was never called to take a vow of poverty. And there is no such thing as free labor, there is no such thing as free Bible teaching. Someone's got to pay for it. Sometimes a pastor is paid to preach and other times he must pay to preach, meaning he has to work another job so that he can preach to you or his wife has to work that other job so that he can be freed to preach to you. So if a church won't financially support its pastor fully, then great, just don't call him at night when you, have, when you need help for any counseling because he's not available. Why? Because he's working. Because the church can't support him. And it's outrageous then to think, I see some of you shaking your heads when we talked about muzzling the ox while it's threshing.
1: Because that's just uncaring to the oxen. I'd like to think we're more than that. That a Christian, it's
0: outrageous to think that a Christian can expect to be formally instructed in the word of God regularly and frequently, year after year, without compensating his pastor when he's in the position to do so. Well, didn't Paul do it for free? Not every pastor is in the position to do it for free. Do you remember what Paul said? I want you to be free from all concern, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. The one who is unmarried, remember, Paul was single,
1: is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married, the pastor who is married with children, is concerned about the things of the world.
0: Not in a worldly sense, but how he may please his wife, and therefore his interests are divided. That's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 through 34. Pastors who have families have to care for and provide for their
1: families in an adequate way, and they cannot preach for free. And they cannot preach for cheap. Families have needs. I remember when I first told my wife when we were engaged that it was my dream to live in a trailer. That conversation was very short. You need to forget about that dream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was the kid who loved small things. My dad gave me first dibs when we got to our our first house in Hawaii. He said, you can pick whatever room you want. And the rest of the students were like, why does he get to pick? He gets to pick, and I picked the room, the smallest room in the house at the very top of the house, because my logic was, number one, it's easier to clean. Number two, when guests come, they don't have to stay up there. They'll stay at my sister's room, which is what happened every time. The only time, again, Paul waived the right to compensate, or for financial compensation, was when he was teaching one church how to love and teaching another church how to work. Do you want to be the church that is so selfish that your pastor has to waive his right to be financially compensated to teach you how to love? Do you want to be the church? I mean, do you want to be, I mean, CBC, Corinthian Bible Church, is that what we want to be known for? That's why they name churches Berean Bible Church, but not Corinthian. No one wants to be known as the selfish church. We want to be known as a noble-minded church. Do you want to be the church that we have to waive our right to be financially compensated, to teach you how to work? I don't think so, right? Instead of CBC, it's LBC, right? Lazy Bible Church. No one wants to be known as that either, right? And so the church then, if you are taught the word, here's what the Bible says. He who is taught the word must share, be in fellowship. Fellowship is a financial thing. In other words, there's a partnership. As we feed you spiritually, provide
1: for you spiritually, You provide for your pastors materially, physically. Now I understand that. Again, on the flip side, not all pastors deserve to be paid. I remember when I, uh, and I still do, tutor math. um, I was. This happened with two students. They didn't know each other. They just both said it separately after tutoring math. And don't worry, it's not anyone in this room. One student said, "Wow, you're really smart. Why'd you become a pastor?" And then the other student said, "Wow, you're really smart. You can teach math. I'm surprised you became a pastor." They were both pastors' kids, by the way. Their past now, their pastors, their dads were not dumb. The
0: reason why they said that is because they've seen. If you're a pastor's kid, you've been around the church. You've been to different churches. You've heard a lot of different sermons. You've seen one man after another go up behind the pulpit and say absolutely nothing profitable. A pastor coming up here on a Christmas service and putting up a clip of finding Dory in the background as your Christmas sermon. I came here to find Jesus, not Dory. And why are you showing me a clip of finding Dory another pastor who goes up? And his message was this. It was on biblical femininity. Do you want to be Ariel or Belle? Neither, right? Neither. Would you rather be one who fell in love with a statue or one who fell in love with a beast because of his heart? That was the message. That was the message. I was in that service, right? Supposed to be a conservative church. Or the Christian psychologist who I saw when I was in college because I was having struggles who said this. Just remember You can speak freely in this room, because I have shut the doors, and therefore Satan cannot hear us. So talk freely. And then he said, just remember, there is a time where you have to be selfish. And I paid 90 bucks per session for that one, right? So the reason why those kids said that is because there are so many jesters who pretend to speak the word of God and they get up here and they rely on their charisma. They rely on their storytelling. Their sermon prep is doing voice recognition on their iPhone on the way to the place where they're supposed to preach and they get up there and they wing it. Well, Spurgeon winged it. You ain't no Spurgeon, right? Do you read six books a day? Six books a week at least? And those men are an embarrassment to the ministry of the word of God. They need to get off the pulpit and they need to sleep in the streets. I don't know how someone can think that you need an MD to practice medicine and a JD to practice law, even personal training, where most of the kids there are haven't even graduated from college. You need a certification. All of a sudden, you can preach the word without training and preach nothing. I remember one pastor going up and saying, I don't have much Bible to preach to you, but I, I'm a heart preacher. So I'm here to preach my heart.
1: Your heart's deceitful. I don't know. I don't want to know what's in there. Preach with your heart, but give me the word. Those pastors have set up the incredibility for the rest of us. But for those who labor and minister in the word, you who are taught that word need to share with him financially. So the answer is yes.
0: If if the church is in the position to do so, the church is not
1: impoverished. Is it your job to financially compensate your pastors? Listen to this verse from James chapter 5, verse 4. And I hope
0: no church that you're ever a part of ever becomes guilty of this. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. Behold the pay of the ministers fed your flock to which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those
1: you did the harvesting has reached the ears of the lord of hosts in other words woe to the church who withholds the pay of the man who labored to teach that church If you aren't desiring or committed to giving generously to your ministers, then I don't see
0: how you in good conscience can regularly receive instruction from those ministers.
1: And you have to think what Jesus commanded when he said, if they don't receive you, either they don't receive your teaching, they mock your teaching, or they won't receive you and support you, you shake the dust off your feet. I will not serve a congregation that insists that their pastor needs to have a lower standard of living because that communicates something wrong about the gospel. And I remember being taught that. Don't lower the gospel with you. Jesus commanded it, we fulfill it. There are times and seasons to do it for particular people. Should you compensate your pastors? The answer is yes. How much? That's number two. That's question number two. How adequately should you materially compensate your pastors? The one who has taught the word, we're
0: back in Galatians 6, the one who has taught the word is to share not all necessary things, not all basic necessities, all good things. Our church doesn't have a membership fee, right, that, that can guarantee our paycheck. It's not a, I mean, 77 bucks a sermon, right? The seven's the perfect number. Uh, Christians are called to provide their pastors and their teachers with all good things. All good things. Not some good things, but all. Not all necessary things, but all good things. In other words, whatever is more than just necessary, but is profitable and beneficial. Everybody
1: here that I know of, I don't know any Christian in the United States who only has basic necessities. Y'all have an iPhone? That ain't a necessity, right? You downloaded apps on there? Everybody here has a car? Some of you have pets? You have air conditioning in your home of some form? Some people say No. <laughs>
0: Y'all have more than one pair of clothing? I mean, I remember going to the Philippines, ministering at a church there, and I was with a young man who showed me his room, which was at the top of the church.
1: And there was all his stuff, all his belongings, one garbage bag with clothes and a backpack. I said, where's your stuff? Right here. That's how much we need to survive. We all have more than that.
0: We all have good things. Are pastors worthy of those good things too, or should we withhold it to keep them poor? Paul says, the elders who rule well, especially those who labor hard at preaching and teaching, are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, does that mean double your income? No, it just means a deep honor. Remember, you honor the widows. You support them. Make sure they can stay alive with the elders. Double honor. In the same way Jesus said 70 times 7. That, that's not just 490 times, right? Right. I don't keep a checklist when you sin against me or I sin against you or you check off 490 sins it's figurative double honor when he says you gain a hundredfold again it's figurative double honor deep honor greatly valued it means that you treat and financially compensate your pastors in a way that you desire to show him the value of his work So when it comes to good let's get practical here then what does it mean Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 9. You can turn there because I'm going to stay on there. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 4 through 7. He says first in
1: verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? We have the same nutritional needs as you do. Pastors
0: need physical welfare to be taken care of, their food and their drink, their warmth. Our body temperature needs to be the same as yours. Same nutritional provisional needs. And then in verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Even as the rest of the apostles and, the brothers, of the, Lord and of the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, pastors and teachers need to be compensated in a way that their wives are free to minister with them without having to work. If the church is able
1: to do that. So how much does it cost to provide for a pastor's wife? Same cost as your wife. Same needs. And we all know that women have different needs than men. That's
0: why there's a women's center and not a men's center, because there are more needs. And does he not have the right to have his wife taken care of in that
1: way? And therefore, by implication, also his children, his household. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working?
0: The church is to aim to compensate their pastor in such a way that he doesn't have to work a second job so that he can be fully absorbed in the ministry of teaching the word to you. In verse 7, who at times has served as a soldier at his own expense? Have you ever met a soldier who had to pay for his own equipment? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Paul is using secular essential labors as an illustration of how to compensate your pastors. Soldiers get their tools provided for them. Farmers get to eat
1: from their produce. Shepherds get to eat from the milk of their flock. A pastor should not have to provide his
0: own tools to minister. That should be provided for. His needs are the same as yours. Do you realize that pastors are human? Um,
1: Being called into ministry didn't lift us out of the laws of human physiology. Um, We have the same needs as everybody else. Your pastor, just like you, needs to eat. He, just like you, needs a place to live. He,
0: just like you, gets stressed when the place that he lives in has a high crime density. His children, just like you, need beds to sleep in and rooms to live in and need formal education. His wife, just like your wife, has needs that are specific to women. His health,
1: just like your health, has issues sometimes. His kidneys don't work perfectly. His heart is subject to disease. He, just like you, cannot travel 10 miles in 20 minutes without a car. And this, I can assure you, his car has problems. And his kids, just like your kids, will get sick if all they ate were rice and soy sauce all day, every day.
0: His parents, just like yours, are becoming elderly and are getting to the point where they, had, they need to be supported. He may want different things from you, but he needs the same things. He's not a different strand of human race. Have you noticed when you walk in a Safeway, there's
1: no pastoral discount? There's no room for ministers at Kaiser. We all get the same medical debt. And ministry is work. When I uh, first talked through Ecclesiastes, to the youth group in 2010,
0: I remember having to tell them, forget everything I said about the last six chapters. It was wrong. I don't know why I took on this this effort to try to preach Ecclesiastes when I wasn't even done with seminary. When I did finish seminary, or almost done with seminary, I tried, no, I did finish, I tried preaching it again, Ecclesiastes again, because it's written to young people, so I figured if I'm with young people, I'll teach them Ecclesiastes. And then when I got to chapter six and eight again,
1: some of the students said, sorry, I I just didn't get it. And that's why I got a doctorate
0: with my dissertation on the book of Ecclesiastes, because that's how much work it
1: takes to make the Bible clear to the people. And it's not just hard work, it's heart work.
0: Paul said it. Apart from such external things, there's daily pressure on me for concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls.
1: When you suffer, we don't sleep. Because when someone asks, so what do you do outside of Sundays? And I said, well, do you stop living outside of Sundays? No. So do you need to be taken care of outside of Sundays? Well, yeah. Who do you think takes care of you?
0: Your pastors do. And therefore, you must provide all good and not just necessary things. If you say
1: all he needs is the basic necessities and for the rest, he can work another job to do it, that is muzzling the ox while he's threshing. So how much exactly? Again, we don't have a membership fee. Again, the overarching
0: command in Galatians 5 is you love your neighbor. As yourself. I love how John Piper puts it. What does that mean? You rip the skin off of your flesh, wrap it around somebody else, and treat them like they're you. So rip the skin off of your flesh, wrap it around your pastor's, and provide for him as you would provide for your own flesh, because no man naturally hates his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You love your neighbor as yourself. As you seek for yourself, you seek for your pastor. If you believe your family truly needs, I'm just going to put out a number here for the sake of math. 200k to survive in
1: this particular region, but you put in your bylaws that your pastor should only get paid 40. Is he worth a quarter of honor For a person to insist that a pastor can and should be able to make it on much
0: less than himself, he himself is willing to make it, and that his
1: pastor should have a much lower financial standard of living is disgusting. because everybody here would agree that we need more than just necessities, And there are many pastors who are crying out to the Lord of hosts that their wages have been withheld and God has heard. One of the marks of a healthy church is the love of God and the love of neighbor pervading. And you see that in the proper provision
0: of people who are in need. Throughout the history of God's people, the ministers of the word have been vital and they have been devalued. And every time there has been a reformation amongst God's people, the proper financial provision for the pastors, for the ministers, always had to be reinstated. The church is healthy when its members truly value God's word and members show that they value God's word by making sure that the men who teach the word can do it without distraction. The world is waiting for the message of salvation to get to it. All peoples, all regions. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So beseech the Lord, you pray to God to get this gospel out to the ends of the world. And the gospel can only go out if people do it. And if men devote the entirety of their lives and their efforts and bring their families along and give themselves to the work of the gospel without distraction. Because the world is right now headed to hell and the gospel is the only power to salvation to get people out of the lake of fire into the kingdom of God. The gospel needs to be brought forth. Men need to labor in doing it. And the only way men will be able to do that soundly, accurately, with precision, with fervency and without fail and without distraction is if the rest of the church joins in participating in the giving and the receiving in the financial compensation of these men. The world needs the gospel. The world needs the word to multiply and grow. I hope you prayed that this morning. More than just, God, help us have a fun Sunday. I hope you prayed this morning that the word would multiply, the gospel would be furthered, and by tribulation, many would enter into God's kingdom. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the message of the good news. And how beautiful are the hands of those who support them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, which gives us clarity in all aspects of life, that trains us in righteousness, that rebukes us where we're wrong, that corrects us to do the right thing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.